and welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, listed in 2020 as number eight of 42 best podcasts for every sales professional. I am your host, Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert and author of Business Evolution, Creating Growth in a Rapidly Changing World. I created Scale Your Sales Framework to develop leading edge capabilities to secure, retain and grow key customer relationships for long-term value and partnership. Join me each week to learn from amazing B2B sales and business experts and influencers. Tune in for actionable insights and strategies. Are you ready to scale your sales? My next guest marries her love of sales and her passion for coaching at Transformed Sales. With a strong track record for driving revenue through sales, marketing, and ongoing customer support. And through her process, she understands that sales leaders require both coaching to develop their leadership skills with outside the box strategies to ensure everyone on the team becomes a sales superstar. She is singly focused on clients and more repeatable sales. Welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, Weslyn Greer. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. (laughs) It's good to have you uh, here. So first of all, tell me, how did a former chemist transition to be an international sales manager? How does that happen? (laughs) So I was always, I was not that normal chemist. I was always the one asking, why am I doing this test? Why does this matter? Anytime the salespeople would get off the road on their trips, I was in their office like, tell me what happened. What did you do? What about this customer? What about that customer? So I found myself transitioning into a sales role. And everyone knows that it's really hard to get a sales job with no sales experience. But I found a company that was looking for a chemist that had no sales experience. And I tell everyone when I got into sales, I finally figured out what I wanted to be when I grew up. And because of my love and my passion and my drive, I read every book, attended every webinar, seminar on my own dime because the company wasn't interested in my development. And because of that, I made a very fast ascent from individual contributor to international sales manager. Fantastic. Fantastic. It's lovely when you actually think, oh, this is home. I've found my place. And many people, for whatever reason, don't find that until later on in in life. So it's kind of a real privilege when that opens up uh, for you. But although the company didn't give you much support in terms of learning the skill of selling, I know that mentoring and mentorship has been really impactful in your career. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, you know, so really my first sales job, it was a German company that I worked for and they sent me to Germany for two weeks to learn all of the technical aspects of the, the product. And then they sent me back home and they said, go sell. And I'm like, whoa, what does that even mean? And so really that first job, I had to really figure it out. I'm like, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to take this territory that literally in the five years preceding me only generated $50,000 of income? And I, within that first year, I got it from 50000 to a half a million dollars. And so I found myself, I was using LinkedIn way back when LinkedIn was just first the thing. And somebody said, hey, Leslie, I see you're out here doing all these things. Are you interested in making a move? So I said, okay, let's talk. And that person who really plucked me 
for my first sales job, she became my mentor and she taught me how to sell. She taught me how to lead. She really helped me, especially as a woman sales person. She was my sales manager and she really taught me how you can be a woman in sales, have a family, have work-life balance. And so because of everything that she poured into me, I feel like I have a duty to pour back into others because I know I didn't get here by myself. And so I try to elevate other people also. That's interesting that it was a female sales leader that plucked you and also um, really helped develop and mentor you because at the time, that would have been really unusual, though, you know, there's there's what, 17 percent of female, you know, diverse sales leaders now. So at that time, it would have been quite rare. So I wonder if on the team there were a higher percentage of women because of that sales leader and also the fact that she could identify a sales superstar in the making because it she wasn't looking for the traditional parameters of what is a strong salesperson I don't know if you could speak to that so you know one thing about her is she really looked for people who had strong sales skills and so just the diversity on our team it was me I'm a black woman there were um, people who were a part of the LGBTQ community right there were men who were you know non-traditional sales people um, as well as other women and but she really, her goal was you have something in you that I see can be developed. And so she was really into getting those people who may not have been a sales superstar and developing them. And she was, I mean, she would literally go on demos with us, go on sales calls with us. We would get on our sales meeting and for the first 10 or 15 minutes, she was like, okay, let's air all our dirty laundry, get it all out. And then now let's get into the business at hand. And literally when I saw the way that she led the team, how she actually helped us grow, so much of what I do today in my practice is because of her. And even when I, when I had my second son, I was literally the first woman salesperson ever to have a child. <laughs> this was in 2014, right? This was not like in the 90s, as my kids say, you know, in the 1900s, <laughs> right? This was in this decade. And she went to bat for me because again, they were saying, oh no, you, when you're out, you don't get commission. You don't get paid on anything. You don't this, you don't that. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, hold on. This has never happened before in the company, the history of the company. And you're just making this blanket statement because they hadn't dealt with it before. So again, really having an ally, a mentor, somebody to go to bat for you when things get hard, I feel so, so blessed to know that I had somebody like that in my corner. Mm. So um, did you stay with that company um, or did you leave when you had your, your, your second son? Oh yeah, I stayed and I had to prove a point, right? I had a chip on my shoulder. And so I tell people the year that I had my son, I was number two in sales that year, number two. And I say I was number one because I lost six weeks of the year. So if I would have been there, I would have been number one. But I stayed. And really, when I I remember when I went to accept my award at the ceremony, I walked past her and she said, you proved everybody wrong, Wesleyan. And so, and I kept proving them wrong, right? Because I kept year after year after year, I had double digit growth. And so again, I got into a leadership position in that company. And then I took a trajectory and I said, okay, now I'm ready to lead a larger team. 
Right. Yeah. Lovely. Great story. Excellent story. And and as you say, this was only 2014. I mean, shame I on us. <laughs> I know. I know. And to this day, they still have the policy in place because it was difficult for me. But I, you know, really consider myself a trailblazer because I was able to help them develop the policy. So now any outside field salesperson that gets pregnant, they will get their commission. They will not have orders not accredited to their territory if they're out. Like all of those things that they never thought about before, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, again, I know that somebody helped me, so I'm glad that I've left that legacy with the company. Excellent, excellent. Okay, so let's talk about, you know, you were talking about legacy. And what about the way that uh, B2B sales is shifting? Do you think it's shifting um, to be buyer-centric enough? We've just talked about companies shifting their internal policies, but actually this is having very much an external focus in the way that they deal with customers. What do you think is working and what isn't? You know, I think that there are still so many B2B salespeople that are so focused on themselves, right? And they're so focused on how great the product is and why you should buy from me and why I'm excellent where the buyer doesn't care. The buyer absolutely doesn't care about you. They care about what is wrong with their situation, what is wrong with their problems, what's keeping them up at night. And really, it's like a fight. And so in the B2B sales world, that's what we're up against. And even up till yesterday, I was working with a team and they said, I said okay, guys, this is what we're going to do. Everybody send me their scripts, right? Their email scripts. And I'm like, our product is great because blah, blah. I'm like, come on, guys. Like, nobody cares about your product. What is the problem, right? Let's focus on the business problem that we're trying to solve. And let's make the buyer the hero of the story, right? Let Once they're the hero of the story and you say, hey, this was actually your idea and this is your problem and I'm just coming along for the ride, that's really how we change the trajectory of B2B sales. Yeah, yeah. So we're in 2021. Why is it that we're not there yet? Why is it that we're in, we're still product focused? What do you think went wrong? Why did we why why did we get lost in transition or translation? Um, I really put that back on the leaders um, because I say underperforming salespeople are a direct reflection of underperforming sales teams. And so as companies, as leaders, we put so much pressure on our salespeople to perform. We put the, have these high quotas. We give them these ridiculous KPIs that don't matter at all. And so they're only focused on hitting their number, closing a sale. They're not actually focused on solving the problems of their buyers because their leadership is so down their throat. And they say, close, 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 call, 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 but they don't give them the tools. They don't train them. That even today, like way back when I got into sales, it was just like, okay, here's your technical training, go sell. Companies still do that today, right? They still don't give the salespeople the tools that they need to really be successful. That's, uh, it's fascinating because um, you, you're putting, putting it on the leaders um, but actually, the I wonder with this quota system uh, that everyone has adopted. If you didn't, in an ideal world, what would happen if you didn't have the quota system? What would happen in your view? And what? So 
you know, what could replace it? What would be the ideal situation? You know, so I don't think necessarily having a quota is all bad. I think it's the way that the quota is used. There's a company that I'm working with right now. And in 2020, I think they were like $168 million. And 2020 was the first year they actually had a quota. Um, But before that, they were like a $150 million company. And each salesperson, they were just driven by themselves. But what it caused was each salesperson was like their own little island, right? They called it the wild, wild west. They didn't have to have be accountable to anyone or to anything. So I think that there is a, a median, right? We need to have something that we're working towards. We need to have something that we're, um, we're trying to attain, but we also need to understand what the personal goals of the salesperson are, right? So do they want to buy a car? Are they trying to send a child to college? Like, why are they working hard? Why do they need to make $100,000 this year? That's really what the leader has to tie it back to. And when you can meld the professional and the personal, that's really how we develop strong salespeople that hit their quota month after month and continue doing what they need to do. I understand that, but that's still very internally focused. It's very much on me. And my view is that it's all about the customer. And it's when the customer is ready to buy. It's when the, the it's the right product for the customer. So even though I want to earn my 100000 I want to go on holiday, I want to send my kids to private school and all of this stuff, it's still focused on me and my product. So how do you overcome that, really, so that we have a truly customer centric organization that's focusing on the customer needs? Because that's what you were talking about, you know, early on. How does that happen? So really focusing on the customer's needs are when you sit down in front of a customer and you are doing a discovery call, you don't think about your product. You don't think about your quota. You don't think anything about you. You're 100% focused on the person sitting in front of you. And so when people are asking, what are the questions I need to ask? What's the script? There is none. There's one question. I give you one question to start with, and then it's all based on how the customer answers. And a lot of times I tell people that, hey, you're going along the customer on their journey, and they may not need what you have to sell today, and that's okay, but you know someone else who can help them today. And your job as a customer advocate, as a servant for that customer is to say, okay, today you're not ready for this product, but you know what? You do need what Bob has to offer. So I'm going to introduce you to Bob and then you guys make that happen. And I'll circle back to you at the right time. And that customer, you just elevated yourself a hundred times in their eyes because they're like, wow, they didn't push a product down my throat. They actually served me. They helped me. And that's really the key, listening to what the customer needs and addressing their problems today. Don't think about your product. Don't think about your quota when you're in front of the customer. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, you talked about your um, mentor, uh, your sales leader that put you on on this path. I want to talk, and I know that this is really important to you in the way that you in your business, um, mentor and um, support the training of uh, sales leaders. So you're really paying it forward. So let me talk about a bit about diversity and whether you think that has uh, progressed in the the sales industry. Mm, You know, I think that 
when we think about B2B sales in general, I think that there has been some progression. But when I think about the fields that I'm focused on, because as a chemist, I work with a lot of those really technical fields. So the science, technology, engineering, we're still way behind where a lot of um, other places in the B2B sales industry. I do think that we're getting diversity in terms of women, but we're not really getting as much diversity in terms of people of color. Why is that? I really think that it's because, first of all, I mean, it, it goes back to, again, having that mentor, having somebody say that, you know, sales is a lucrative career. A lot of times um, women or people of color, they don't even think about sales as being something that they can do or they should do. They think about the used car salesperson, right? And they're like, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like the, the telemarketer that calls and bothers me all the time. So starting in college, like in college, if you would have said, okay, Wesleyan, you're going to be a salesperson in 10 years. I'd have been like, no, no, no. I'm going to go get a PhD in chemistry. That's what I'm going to do. Right. <laughs> Those were my goals. Yeah. And so really it, that's what happens. Whereas men, they have, um, you know, they see that their fathers, their uncles, their grandfathers have done that. And so they look up to them and they're like, okay, they're in sales. They have a good career. They have a good life. I can do that too. So really, when we don't have anyone to look up to or we don't have anyone saying it's OK to use your technical degree or even your business degree to get into sales, to travel up this career path, that's really where the problem arises. And then we have hiring managers that are very focused on what they've always done. There was somebody that I worked with a couple of years ago and we were, he was hiring somebody and we found this lady, she was an Asian lady. And he was like, she's perfect. She's awesome. But I just don't know if she's going to be able to get in the field with the guys and be dusty and all this stuff. So I pulled out my picture of me with my hard hat and my steel toe boots. And I said, this is me <laughs> in the field, right? Would you ever imagine that me here looking all, you know, pretty would be out there. And so it's even those preconceived notions that the hiring managers have and everyone on their team looks like them and they sit in an interview and that person resonates with them. So I think there's, it's a multifaceted thing. And really the first step to diversifying the sales force is to make sure that you're using objective measures of really assessing people and hiring people. Don't just say, I like them. We went to the same university. We play golf together. We go hunting. Like all of those things, you're going to have a microcosm of your sales force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, thank you for that. That's interesting. Okay, so what tried and tested strategy would you offer listeners to enable them to scale their sales? Um. So again, I always, I think about the leader uh, because I feel that with poor leadership, you have poor sales teams. So one thing that I tell leaders is that in order to truly grow their teams, they must get out of the weeds, right? So what that means is you don't need to be standing alongside your salespeople closing every sale with them. You need to go to, go to a sales call with them, let them run the show, let them fall flat on their face. And then afterwards, you do a debrief and actually coach them, right? And so really, that is the key for sales leaders to get out of the weeds. And for the individual salesperson, I would say taking accountability. When it's okay to lose a sale. I say it's okay to lose a sale, but it's not okay to lose the same way twice. So after every lost sale, after every one sale triage, what did I do well? What did I do not well? What did I miss? 
Why did it go to the competitor? Why did they ghost me? Really think about it and triage every single deal that you've lost. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Thank you. So tell me a bit more about the Science of Selling STEM podcast. Ah, yes. My podcast, it's the Science of Selling STEM. It's a snack size sale. So I like the S's, right? S's look like money. (laughs) (laughs) So really what we do on there, it's a 15 to 20 minute podcast. And I am talking to sales leaders that are in these technical fields. Because again, so many times you are in these very technical fields and you have like a PhD chemist that's a salesperson and they have no clue on what to do. And so we talk about how they made their transition from being an individual contributor to being a sales manager. And we give tips on building a team, closing sales, using LinkedIn, should I do email newsletters? So really everything that a sales leader needs to build their team, to hold their team accountable and build a team of sales superstars. Brilliant. Excellent. Okay. So who is your hero or shero? My shero is Michelle Obama. I <laughs> love Michelle Obama. <laughs> Why? I, what I love about her is I love her strength. Um, I always felt like she was a quiet storm. Um, so every time you see, you would see her husband and you would see her, she might be, she's always on his side. But when you listen to her story and you really understand where she came from and all the strides she made in her life to get to where she is, it's so inspiring because, again, you know, so many times as, you know, women, um, especially black women, we feel that, hey, we, we can't, we have to quiet our voice. We can't be strong. We can't do this or we can't say that. Not, and it's not only that we uh, feel, we're told that. Right. We're we're told to to be quiet. The angry black woman. Just because you have an opinion. Exactly. You have an opinion. You know, you're in the boardroom. You let everyone else talk and then you talk, right? Your opinion isn't as valued or you're being too abrasive. All of those things, right? All of those things that cloud us as black women. And she's really broken the stereotype. And she's not an angry black woman. She's calm. She's cool. She's collected. But yet... Her voice is so powerful, right, around the world. And I think I heard, like, she was even more popular than the former president, right? Yeah. So even if you think about those things. So, yes, yeah, yeah. she is my shiro. Yeah, her book, Becoming, was amazing, wasn't it? It was yeah. brilliant. It was. Yeah. It was. I'm an audiobook person, so actually hearing her voice, reading the words, I mean, it was yeah. second to none. Yeah, yeah. So how can listeners get hold of you, Wesleyan? The best way to get hold of me is on LinkedIn. Um, I'm there all the time. So my name, Leslie Greer, or on my website, transformsales.com. Excellent. I'll put all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for being a guest on Scale Your Sales Podcast, Wesleyan. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Scale Your Sales. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter, Janice B. Gordon, to comment and share. I'd love it if you would leave a review on ratethispodcast.com slash scale your sales. Please subscribe for more weekly expert insights to scale your sales.